Today's Words and Nerds podcast is sponsored by The Accomplice by Steve Kavanagh. If you were married to a serial killer, would you know? Steve Kavanagh's follow-up to the best-selling 13, 50-50 and The Devil's Advocate is his twistiest yet. The Sandman serial killings have been solved. Daniel Miller murdered 14 people before he vanished. His wife Carrie now faces trial as his accomplice. The FBI, the district attorney, the media and everyone in America believe she knew and helped cover up her husband's crimes. The only thing between a life in jail or free Freedom is Eddie Flynn and his team. Steve Kavanagh is the master of the twist and The Accomplice will keep you guessing right to the last page. The Accomplice is released in Australia on the 26th of July. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny V. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm Uh, feeling sick. Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Welcome to another Words and Nerds podcast where we bring literary goodness to your ears wherever you are. This is a very special interview in that my guest today, Seth Robinson, won the Lismore Flood Recovery Bid to appear on the Words and Nerds podcast. While my family would pay me to stop talking, Seth bid on the podcast so we could have a chat probably because of all of you listeners who tune in every month so firstly Seth thank you so much for bidding on words and nerds when there were so many other amazing things you could have bid on oh thank you very much for having me and I was very happy to do it you know it seemed like a really nice way to kind of bring a few threads together I wanted to donate anyway and then Mm. kind of like support the lit community and participate and of course now I get to transition from fan to guest (laughs) but anyway about you let's talk about you Seth Seth you're the author of Welcome to Bellevue published by Graddon Street Press in 2021 you were one of the inaugural winners of the Ultimo Prize fiction with your short story Watch Me selected as the opening story for the prize collection Everything All at Once you were also long listed for the Busy Bird Publishing with your short story The Sting to feature in their 10th anniversary and anthology so we can talk about whatever you like tonight this is your interview but first of all tell us about your novel welcome to bellevue give us an elevator pitch the elevator pitch for welcome to bellevue is that a young a young guy not too dissimilar to myself i guess i guess you know we say all writers kind of write themselves into their stories i guess especially the debut novel that's a hard thing not to do right yep um, but this young guy wakes up on a ferry as it arrives at this very small, spooky kind of coastal town. And he's not really sure how he came to be on said ferry. And then, of course, getting on the ferry and going home turn out to not be that easy either. Mm. So I say it's kind of a paranormal mystery with a bit of an adventure thrown in, you know, speculative fiction. Mm. 
I love that. So where did this idea derive? Because there's a lot going on and a lot of it's human, you know, like the, the getting someplace unfamiliar, feeling alone, you know, not being able to recall things, but then you've got that kind of other thread going through it, you know, the speculative fiction. So tell me how you put that all together and where that idea came from. I think that idea in particular started with the place. You know, for me, it was kind of thinking about, for anyone who hasn't read the book, Bellevue's very much this kind of where the mountains meet the sea kind of town. So you could imagine it as a very small kind of spooky hamlet in somewhere like New England or, you know, these really kind of stark coastal areas. Um, and I suppose I started thinking about that. I'm originally from Seattle, so the Pacific Northwest, which is kind of similar, but then also you know, living in Melbourne now, driving around places like the Mornington Peninsula when you have the fog rolling in, um, or even the Great Ocean Road. And so I just, it was this kind of environment of like, you know, mountain and rocks meeting ocean that really kind of charmed me for Bellevue. Um, moving beyond that into some of the more story-based elements, things like the mystery. Um, I think, you know, as many writers are, I love to consume stories. Like, you know, I love books, I love movies, I love video games. and. I think this story kind of was one that wove itself together for me from other inspirations, you know, from reading other mysteries and mm. from reading other ghost stories. Mm. So it was kind of a few of those elements coming together. It's just like Fitzgerald said about uh, Gatsby when he said that it didn't take him very long to write, physically write the novel, but it actually took him 40 years to write the novel. So it was all those cumulative experiences that came out into the one book, which was physically written very fast, but it's all those experiences beforehand. But just going back to setting a little bit, I mean, setting is everything in this novel. It's almost a character of its own, isn't it? Yeah, that's actually something I, I do kind of like to say when I'm asked about it is I think like it's kind of the main character mm. in a lot of ways. Um, and it's something I did play with a little bit in thinking about, without giving away too many spoilers, the people who live in the town are kind of involved in the environment itself, in the kind of weird aura that this town has. Um, and so there is that kind of element of playing with, I guess, some of the literary tropes as well as like how do you use your supporting cast? Like mm. what is their role? What is their function? And so I, in my mind, those things all kind of come together to create, yeah, like the setting and the town, but also the character of Bellevue. Mm. And what is it about speculative fiction? Because I know usually writers of speculative fiction are just so passionate about this genre. So what is it about speculative genre that you love? You know, it's really interesting you asked me that, and I'm glad you did, because I can totally say that I'm only recently embracing the label of being like a speculative fiction author. Um, I really recently just finished reading a book by Eugen Bacon. Uh, it was a, actually like a textbook she wrote called Writing Speculative Fiction. Um, and I'm now reading her short story collection, which is a kind of nice follow on from that danged black thing. Um, but in that text, writing speculative fiction, she just kind of talks about and gives a breakdown of like what speculative fiction is. And that essentially it's this beautiful overarching umbrella that kind of covers, you know, fantasy and horror and sci-fi. Mm -hmm. But um, the thing she said in that that really just hit home for me was that they're like, what if stories? You know, it's this thing of like, what if this guy was on this ferry and ended up in this weird situation? It really is just, you know, taking any situation it could be I think Stephen King's spoken about it before like you know what if a lady is trapped in a car by a dog for Cujo 
And so I think, you know, you can take a really basic idea and then just push it as far as you want to mm. with your imagination. Yeah. Um, and so when Bellevue first came out and Grattan Street was first marketing it, there was a lot of kind of question for us of like, how are we marketing this story? So when it was first released, it was actually fantasy. And we kind of called it like a fantasy adventure. And it's only now, like more than a year later and having, you know, written more and read more that I'm kind of like, oh, like it's speculative fiction. And I'm very happy to call myself a speculative fiction. <laughs> That's an interesting journey. But it is, um, you know, like crime fiction, it, it has you know, many, many subgenres within that, doesn't it? So, you know, you're talking about fantasy and horror and crossing over. So it's one of those genres that, you know, can really be anything. Yeah, absolutely. And I think within that, there's so much space to play, you know, mm. like it doesn't have to be one of the genres you just mentioned. It could be horror mixed with a crime story with yeah. like a sci-fi comedy element, you know, it's like the between the lines gray area, which yeah. I think is really, well, really cool. I, yeah. I think it's really interesting because, you know, if we say that novels and books, they reflect society. I mean, we don't live in genres, you know, our worlds aren't a genre. We, we move through many different experiences. And so I almost think we're obsessed with genre because that's the easy way to market books. Yeah. But it's not actually reflective of human experience, which is interesting. So I think even, you know, crime novels have other elements to them, as does speculative fiction. And yours has a very human element to it as well. Oh, thank you. I think that's that's really important. And it's nice to hear you say that because that's the thing I'm working on in my new book as well, uh -huh. adding the human element. That's the stick <laughs> I'm at. So that's reassuring. And that's grace, is it? Yes. So that's my, um, the novel I'm doing for my doctoral studies at the moment. So it's called Grace and it's very much, again, a speculative kind of adventure. Um, and I have a draft and it's complete and I really like it, but I've realized it's at the point where it's the narrative, it's the events that happen. And mm. now I'm going in and trying to add that depth and the character mm -hmm. and the, the meat. That's the fear, isn't it though? Like I've heard from other writers, if you like your manuscript, there's something you need to go back and fix with it because it was too easy to write. <laughs> that's exactly it. And that's, uh, I'm so excited to hear that because that's what I've been telling myself. I'm like, mm. all right, the easy version is done. Now you've got to like, <laughs> kill your darlings and yeah, work yeah. hard. Yeah. When I spoke to Jack Heath, he was saying that um, the manuscripts he found really easy to write and thought, yeah, I've nailed this, were the ones that the publishers came back with the most feedback and the most changes. Mm -hmm. And the ones that he really struggled with and pushed through were the ones that seemed to be the, the, you know, the ones that got through easier. So it's interesting that, you know, sometimes if it's easy, you need to ask yourself the question, well, why? Why was it so easy and do I need to do a bit more to it? So it's interesting, is it? And the creative process, you know, how can you ever it's not maths you know there's not this right answer at the end when you finish you know it's it's very um it's very subjective depending on who's reading it I've been thinking recently in kind of trying to motivate myself as I do this I wonder if that's like a career arc as well you know I feel like you're attracted to writing or I was anyway because I really enjoy it I have a lot of fun doing it and like up to a point I think I'm relatively good to that good at it but it's only up to a point you know mm. there's like the ideas that occur to you and you can jot that down and you're like that's fun like that's this cool idea but I think if you want to excel and go further and become you know a good writer as opposed to just a writer that's probably when you need to like really knuckle down and challenge yourself right mm. it's like a puzzle isn't it you know I, I like to see it as a puzzle in some ways and you, and you can solve it if you've got the the grit and the energy <laughs> in which to do it but yeah it's often quite a puzzle absolutely yeah
Now, I know that you draw on your experience of being a dual citizen and then you came here and, you know, you're always thinking about people and place and politics and the wider world. So how, how have those things come together to inform your writing? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, we spoke about the setting for Bellevue. And so that was one of the big influences there was, you know, thinking about these kind of environments and seeing them in different locations. Um, so that was one element. Another thing for me is always kind of thinking about language and thinking about voice. You know, you can hear speaking. I moved to Australia when I was four years old, but the American twang still. Yeah, it's actually really doesn't, strong for four years old. That's amazing. Doesn't go away. Mm, but I think um, interesting. It, well, it is, yeah, and I think it, it's something I do think about in, like, writing and things like dialogue, and it's something I'll get called out on by editors. Mm. I'll be like, oh, that's kind of funny phrasing, like, you know. So I do take a lot of joy from thinking about words and sentence structure and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. So those are kind of two practical aesthetic elements to it. Um, I think the other, you know, you mentioned politics in there as well, is that, you know, when I first went to university and did my undergrad, it was in international relations and anthropology. And so I am really interested in kind of thinking about stories at like a larger global scale. Um, and also thinking about the power of stories and storytelling to kind of affect change um, and to be part of things like political discourse. And so it definitely impacts the issues and like themes I choose to write about. You know, Grace, my new book, is very much thinking about things like the climate and pandemic emergencies and like what the future of leadership kind of looks like. So I think it largely determines the content I'm attracted to writing about. Mm. Oh, that is really interesting. And what's your process of writing? So are you, I know you said you wrote the easy draft, but are you very planned and methodical in the way you write with your ideas or is it more pantsing or is it somewhere in between? I think there's something called a plantser. <laughs> <laughs> I like that idea of plan. <laughs> um, that point I mentioned just before about kind of feeling like I'm having to shift a little mm -hmm. bit, like, you know, and be like, you know, this is where I have to work and put it in the hard yards. I was always a pantser, you know, I was like, and I think there's still some value to that, that first draft where you just get in there and you're like, all right, I'm going to just play with it and see what kind of story ends up on the page. Um, but doing this new draft and going through the process once again and kind of trying to push myself that little bit further i'm starting to think i'm going to need to like you know i have a friend who has his wall that's covered in post-it notes mm, i love those walls i've never done one of those <laughs> they don't walls. work for me either but i love looking at them <laughs> exactly i kind of go into his place and i look at it and i'm like what's going on here you know i don't like, quite I get aspire it. to that you know but i never get there <laughs> Exactly. I love the idea. And I mean, I think there's something to be said for like visually mapping mm. stories mm. as well. Um, Not everyone's I, brain works that way. You know, some people's yeah. brains are a little bit messier or I saw Kyle Perry's and his was beautiful. His was not only, um, his was color coded. So each character had a different color post-it note and he had fairy lights around it. I was like, this is like the dream post-it note wall, Kyle. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I see. That's what I want to do. I yeah. Think I yeah. Maybe we'll just level. do it. Won't have any substance to it or make any sense, but at least it'll look great. <laughs> exactly. And then you crash and burn and you're like, all right, that's not for me. We'll do something else. It'll be very Instagrammable. Oh, well, and you know, you do need to beef up the profile sometimes. <laughs> um, but I did have, 
I spoke to Laura Jean McKay once because we're both from Melbourne and she talked about how she has background in like photography. And so often when she had scenes that she would write, she would kind of see them as like photos still. Mm, I like that. And I got to thinking about it and I kind of feel similar, maybe a little bit more like cinematic in that I see kind of the scene. Mm -hmm. And I'll, so I do when I write, we'll have like scenes and then I know they're the things I want. Yeah. It'll be the filler where I'm kind of having to pants it and make it up along the way. And so I do kind of like that idea of like, you know, hybrids, whether it's the post-it wall with the fairy lights, which sounds incredible, <laughs> or, you know, like a storyboard or something I like, which is weird because words are such a pure medium in their own right, but then you got to play with it to get them down. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I like how you're talking about photography and, you know, looking at, at things visually, because I actually think, you know, writing is just one creative pursuit, but I know so many writers who are also illustrators or they've worked in theatre or they've been in bands or they're artists, you know, and I feel like creative pursuits, they actually, they cross over and then they can sort of help inform your other work that you do, you know, because they're all about creating something from nothing and, you know, all the culmination of all your experiences and putting them into that body of work, whatever that body of work is, whether it's a podcast or a whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And I must say, I have a very soft spot for podcasting and audio in my heart. Well, that's my because, yeah, you are. You're a producer, <laughs> co-creator and a host of a podcast, um, one of them being the award-winning Women Are the Business. Now, tell me about Women Are the Business. Yeah, Women of the Business was very cool. I um I work at the University of Melbourne, so I teach creative writing there, and then I also do like a creative content strategist kind of role. Um, and so the podcast fell in with that. And so I did that with a couple of colleagues, one of them, Sophie Thomas, who's a very talented comms professional. She hosted it. Um, and it was at a time when, you know, we were thinking about the issues that women are facing within the workforce. Um, and so we really, we were like, oh, we work at this university. We have a whole bunch of academics who do research in this mm. stuff. And we have some incredible alumni who have gone out into the world and, you know, lived this. Let's get them together and let's look at, you know, the different issues and make a series about it. Mm. Um, and so we had some incredible guests. You know, Julia Gillard was kind of like the finale season. Wow. Um, but it was really like an interesting experience in one of the lessons and like takeaways and things we learned from it. We thought, you know, cause we were looking at issues around things like childcare. We were looking at issues around things like retirement, um, women in the international space, mm -hmm. um, gendered industries. And we thought they would all have really different problems and really different solutions. But what we found is there were like really similar and simple wow. policy instruments that kept coming up as like solutions to all of them. So it was things like uh, subsidized care, looking at um, retirement funding for women as well and addressing some of those issues. Um, and so, you know, these things are not without our reach, but mm. it just kind of needs a more communication piece there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then there are the the hidden things that you don't realize, you know, like I worked in an industry that was very good in terms of giving you paid leave, um, you know, for an extended period of time. But I think then you come back and this was my feeling from it. You came back from maternity leave and you started working part time and no one took you seriously. Like I felt like I had to fight 
to be taken seriously again, you know? And so I think although the world says it's ready to be flexible and to give you paid leave and to let you come back part-time, there's still a part of society that says, oh, we just can't take you seriously because you just work three days a week. You know, and I felt like I was fighting to reclaim the position that I had beforehand, even though I still had the position in name. You know, I feel like that the your identity sort of shifted in that space. And I thought, oh, I'm already so tired from having a child. Now I've got to fight for my place back in the workplace. You know, yeah. so there's little hidden things that are so subtle that you can't prove them. You know, there's there's only a feeling or anecdotal evidence, but I still feel like, you know, there's a, there's a long way to go in this space. And it's also cumulative, right? Mm. Like you, I think you touched on something there, which... I think can't be underestimated is like those little things that maybe you can't pinpoint one little thing, or if you do, it maybe sounds like it's not such a huge issue, but when that snowballs, that mm. becomes, you know, a crushing yeah, load. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's all of that. Yeah. It's interesting. And then, you know, you've got your, you're on leave and your superannuation, you don't get as much and, you know, income and all that stuff that comes along with it. And, you know, you can't have everything. I understand that, but nothing comes, for nothing you know and I still think it's a very complex um space that when just we're getting there and I think there's some really good things that have happened um but I still think we've got a long way to go I don't have the solutions by the way <laughs> I was just a product of you know <laughs> a space where I thought hmm I don't think we're quite there yet we're getting there which is great but well I'm curious you know now you've definitely embraced like a portfolio career, right? Like you're someone who does a few different things yeah. and like, you know, the podcast's not excluded. Like, and so I think that's really interesting that like, you know, these situations create like alternative ways of being and alternative yeah. ways of working. And I think obviously the detrimental situation needs to be addressed first, but I think that the way creative people respond to that is like endlessly fascinating that they're like, mm. all right, well, I'm going to make my own thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and this was born out of, you know, this podcast was born out of me needing to have more conversations with, you know, than a newborn. It's great having a newborn, but the conversation's one way. <laughs> so I was like, what can I do? I can still do at home that helps me move my, you know, my brain and helps me think and helps me have these really interesting conversations. So you're right, creative people tend to solve problems in creative ways. And um, I think creativity can be undermined sometimes, whereas I think having imagination and creativity, I mean, they're really important for critical thinking and problem solving. I think also like critical thinking is something that can't be celebrated enough, right? Mm. That's mm. probably something we just need more and more of yeah absolutely society. absolutely <laughs> political climate yes absolutely <laughs> you touched on something interesting there as well which i always think of is the relationship between like creativity and entrepreneurship mm. you know like this idea of to be an artist or to like be a creative practitioner of any kind you just like you have to be a marketer you have yeah. to know how to like run your own small business even if it's just getting your apn sorted out and that sort of thing and so i always think those skills and the way people navigate those elements of those careers are endlessly fascinating as well mm. no absolutely it is and i think um for a long time like, something like imagination was undermined but you know that's the way that you know the best people in the world have come up with these amazing innovative solutions or inventions it's through imagination and it's through a willingness to fail you know the first of anything that is amazing now, airplane, internet, whatever, the first you know, the prototype wasn't the one we're using now. 
know, so that um, I guess that, that that ability to be able to fail, which is scary, uh, but to just do it anyway. Like I really admire that. You know, when when I first, just as an example, started podcasting, it's probably the same. You know, with you with writing, you have no idea. You have no idea if anyone's going to listen or read it, or if it's any good. Because when you're in it, it's hard to judge whether it's any good anymore. Like I don't even know, <laughs> but you do it anyway. You know, and you're quite prepared to go. Well, it could fail, but I think I still think failing is a win over not doing it at all. Absolutely. You know, I have to get my work out there. I have to get it in these journals. I have to win these prizes. And so I think in the moments that's not happening, that can be quite frustrating and it can feel like a little bit of a Sisyphean task almost just being like, well, why am I doing this? Why am I rolling the boulder? Um, But I think that there's a lot that comes from just reminding yourself that it is fun as well, right? Yeah. And it is a joyous process and right. kind of trying to tell that line. Yeah, absolutely. And creativity is that, you know, I think creativity feeds us as much as hopefully it gives back to the world. Now, Seth, the question, the big question comes up in every episode. Why do you write? And it makes me happy. And I think I'm doing something with my imagination, like you mentioned before. I think that there's just so much potential within imagination and being able to think about possibilities. Um, More specifically within writing, you know, it's stories that attract me, it's human connection. Like it's how we learn, it's how we kind of grow as society. Um, And so I think it's just that it is genuinely what I enjoy doing. I enjoy reading, I enjoy writing, and that's what I would like to do. I also love teaching, you know, I've really fallen into the university lecturing kind of side of things, teaching and engaging with students about about creativity and like talking about imagination like there's no better way to spend your time just being in creative spaces I totally dig it yeah I agree there's nothing better than that at all if you could be creative 100% of the time that's what you'd do creative is definitely a way of being I think and a way of even moving forward with mental health like all of those things you know creativity gives us so much I think absolutely Absolutely. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you, Seth. Once again, thank you so much for bidding on Words and Nerds. I mean, I looked at all those things you could possibly bid on. It was amazing literary place. We're like, I'm going to bid on everything. <laughs> so um, it was really nice to no, chat This was to absolutely you. my first choice. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. Um, no, but, you know, I, I love having interesting conversations with people. It's the whole point of the podcast. And I think we, we touched on many different things, which is really cool and unexpected things as well. So thank you so much for your time and um, for your support and listening as well. I mean, it's great not only when you create something, when other people get something from it too. So, I mean, that's with writing and podcasting and any type of art form. So thank you so much. Absolutely. No worries. Thank you for having me, Danny.